our church, Jesus is Lord. That single belief calls us together as a community and sends us into our world with hope and purpose. At our church, your past will never define your future. There's always redemption, which means there's always a brighter day. At our church, we don't think we're better than any other church out there. We're just doing our best to become our best. At our church, we want you to believe in God, but we also want you to know that God believes in you. We are not against people who don't attend church anywhere. Instead, we pursue them with love, the very same love that's pursuing us. At our church, we're learning to serve God with all our hearts, and we're learning to worship Him with all our lives. And if you're looking for the perfect church, we're not it. At our church, we will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them. At our church, we're part of a global community that's knit together by the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, at our church, we believe that really happened too. At our church, we will engage with people who are in real need because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And finally, we need you to hear this loud and clear. At our church, it's not really our church at all. It's His. And we live and move and breathe in His church for His glory and His fame, not ours. So here's the invitation. You're invited to jump in with your whole heart at your own pace and to experience the life that awaits you in Christ. Friends, this is going to be good. Welcome to our church. Jane King, and I'm representing the board this morning. I want to thank you guys all so much for coming and worshiping with us today. Um, I'm going to give you just a couple little board reports, and uh, one of them is our new gutters uh, out there out front are done. They were done this week, and a big, big thank you to Cliff, Jim, and Dan, and anybody else who's involved in that, but those guys for sure really worked hard to facilitate that project. Um, also, the grounds uh, outside are looking beautiful, and a big, big thank you to Jim and Cindy, who have worked so hard all summer. In the, in the heat and the <laughs> dust and the sun, and oh my gosh, <laughs> thank you so much, Jim and Cindy. Um, just a reminder, direct all your questions, concerns. If you have anything you're wondering about what the heck's going on around with something we've been talking about, Cliff's out in the foyer oftentimes before church or after church. And um, he'll just be happy to follow up with you and answer your questions and get back with you if he needs to. So thanks, Cliff, for doing that. The board meeting met um, the board met this week at a meeting and this last week, and we got to meet the new um, district superintendent, uh, Dr. Virgil Ashgren, and uh, had a really good uh, session with him this week. And we began that 10 step um, pastoral search process. I'm sure you guys are also glad to hear that. Uh, so, on September 5th, we'll be handing out two forms. Uh, one is a submission form if you want to recommend a Nazarene pastor that you might know somewhere. And uh, there's a form to fill out, and you can submit it, and uh, they'll look into that. And the other one is a form for desired characteristics of a pastor. 
and we'll be turning those into the district superintendent, and you all will get to have a part in um, the process of helping look for a new pastoral replacement. Again, thank you guys all so much for being here. Thank you, Jane. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everyone. How has your week been? Good. I hear greats out there. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. I've been looking forward to seeing you guys. We all have. We've been warming this place up for you, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is here this morning. So we are excited about that. So let's continue to welcome him in. Would you bow your heads with me, and let's just welcome the Holy Spirit in. Father, we thank you for being here this morning waiting, us, waiting for us as we unlocked the door. Lord, I thank you that you rose the sun this morning in such a quiet way, but so boldly that it woke us up in our beds. Lord, we are here for you this morning. And Father, we are grateful that you've been waiting for us. So we want you to be here. We want your Holy Spirit to feel welcome here. We want to invite you in personally with our hearts and our minds. And we want to get focused on you, Lord. And then we want to give you everything we can from our hearts and our minds through song, through our giving, through everything this morning because it belongs to you. And we love you with all of our hearts. So feel welcome in this place. And we thank you for being here. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship him this morning. I'm excited. Are you? Yeah, me too. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes you
Welcome them here today. Tell them you're glad to see them. If they're new, make sure you make them feel welcome. Man, it's good to hear you guys. Boy, you guys are awesome. They're cutting across the room and welcoming people. I love that. Hey, I want to remind everybody this morning, as we're getting ready to continue worship, that we have prayer cards on your seats. We take prayer serious here. It is a big deal, and we are seeing God answer. We are now flipping prayer cards over and writing answered across them. It's exciting. And we're not going to give up until they're answered, because we know He will. He will answer them. So Wednesday night is prayer night. Exactly. We want everyone to come. It is so worth your time. It is a precious time we get to sit together. And lately, none of us want to leave when it's over. It's been really, really sweet. So we want to invite you. We want you to know you're welcome. You're not going to be put on the spot. It's just a really, really beautiful time with our Jesus. And to lay things before the Father. So fill out those cards. Give them to me or put them in the offering. And we will make sure they're prayed over excited about that. Another reminder that we want to make sure you guys are aware of is this coming Friday is movie night. So we get to get together and just enjoy each other. It's so fun. It is so much fun. And we are watching Overcomer. If you haven't seen it, so worth coming out for. Please be here. We open concessions at 6.30, 7 o'clock the movie starts. Well worth your time. The movie's free. We do take donations to try to help with, with things that we need for worship arts. Um, just to replace microphones and things like that. But we are here to enjoy each other and just fellowship. So it's a lot of fun. Mark that on your calendars this Friday, okay? So we are, I think that's everything I need to give you guys a 
heads up, bow bowed, except the men's Bible study on Fridays from 9 to 10. If you guys want to come and be there? It's up in the Children's Worship Center up there, okay? So we're going to continue to worship and welcome him in this morning.
praise the scripture this morning. This is, this is awesome. I know you've heard, you've heard it before. You can't hear it enough, though, in my opinion. So in Romans 8, 37, it says, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain all overwhelming victory through him who loved us so much that he died for us. For I am convinced, and I continue to be convinced, convinced beyond any doubt that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that exciting? I mean, they covered pretty much everything in there, I'm thinking. Oh, guys, we have our king, our father, our daddy is victorious. Have you thought about that? The victory belongs to him in everything. I mean, he did the cross. He went and he defeated Satan. It's over. So anything that we're dealing with, he's got it. He's victorious over all of it. That's awesome. It's so exciting to know that. Did you come expectant this morning? Did you come expecting him to move? Because I'm excited. He's going to move this morning. He's already been doing it. And he's victorious over those things in your life that you're dealing with that maybe nobody knows about. He's got it. So he's going to take care of you. It's so exciting. It's so beautiful to know that he loves us enough to take care of all of that. Are you excited? I'm excited. Thank you, Jesus.
got it all in the palm of your hand, Lord. There is nothing to worry about. Father, we celebrate the fact that you have conquered it all. No matter how big, no matter how small. You are so good to us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.
do-overs I'm grateful for when you pick us up and dust us off and say let's try this one more time you are so loving to us Lord I ask you to be with us the rest of this morning as Scott's getting ready to come and preach I ask for your spirit to take over even more that we've blessed you this morning that you are the honored one that you are the special guest here, that we are not doing you a favor by being here, Lord. You have allowed us to come. We get to do this. We get to worship to you freely. We can come into a public place, and that's not happening in Afghanistan and other places in this world. And we take that for granted. Father, it's an honor to come into your presence. We are not on a time schedule with you. 
you tell us what you want and what you want us to do. We love you. Lord, I ask you to take over again. This place is yours. These are your kids. Thank you for letting us worship you, Lord. You are holy. You are the beginning and the end. You get the last say. You are a conqueror. You are victorious. You are loving. You are kind. You are gentle. And we get to sit in the presence of all of that. Thank you, Father. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We are going to take the offering now. I think I have Cliff and Vanita and Cindy and Jim, if you guys would come forward. Man, what an honor it is to stand before him this morning. And this is just another part of our worship where we get to give him a little tiny bit back. We get to trust him with it. That's hard. But you know what? He's going to take it and he's going to use it and multiply it. And he's going to spread his gospel and he's going to spread the kingdom. This is kingdom work we're doing. And that's awesome. I'm so thankful that we get to do that. So let me pray over our offering. Don't forget to turn your prayer cards in, and you can give them to me at the end too, okay? So Lord, thank you for this offering. Thank you for what you've given us. I pray we will honor you with it. I pray, Jesus, that you will multiply it. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you... You are the provider. We trust you with it, Lord Jesus. Even though sometimes it's hard to let it go because there's things that that we need to do or, or things that we need to pay for or whatever it is, Jesus. But we trust you with it. And it's a joy to give back to you after you've given us so much. So, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name. Come and give us the message. Thank you. Good morning. How are we doing today? It's good to be with you guys today. We had a vacation our family took to Santa Fe, the city of holy faith. And uh, we had a great time there with Rachel and Emerson. Um, and Pastor Tim was with you guys last week. And he started a series that we're going to actually continue next week through the Beatitudes. Um, and so be sure to be here for that. It's going to be great. He'll do the bulk of it. I'll take some of the Sundays, um, and it'll be a great time together going through that series of the Beatitudes. But today, I wanted to, I was impressed upon me, uh, this passage in John 16. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn to John 16 in your own Bible, um, I had you guys flipping like this through the Bible last time I preached. Um, we're going to try to stay in one passage uh, today, um, but we will pick that up in John 16, verse 7, starting with verse 7. So let me go ahead and pray before we get into the Word. Lord, we are grateful for, for your Word, for your truth that comes to us in your Holy Scriptures and We pray that you bless them now. We thank you for your spirit that comes 
that is the spirit of truth that can lead us and guide us into your truth. And I pray that you do that now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. John 16, verse 7. This is Jesus talking here. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the NIV. Most of us here know what the the advocate is representing. It's representing the Holy Spirit, right? I don't know what your translation says. Uh, It could be one of a few words. And and if you might remember, a few weeks back, I, I talked about the Hebrew perspective of spirit. That wonderful, breathy word, ruach. You guys remember that one? That means both spirit and breath. Um, But we are today in the New Testament and reading from the Greek. And the Holy Spirit word being used there is parakletos. And so your translation might have one of a few different uh, words there. If we want to go to the next slide, it has some of those. Counselor, comforter, advocate, helper. These are different words, but they are all saying the same thing. It takes a lot of English words to actually say what parakletos means the one who is called alongside to render aid and comfort. That's a lot of words to describe one word, but we, um, we're going to dive into what that means for us today. And, and in some instances, this word can be used in a courtroom setting. Um, the NIV says advocate, and, and some translations say counselor. Um, and if we could set the scene of a courtroom... You can see how Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps. But, but what, what got me thinking this week, the very first word to use to describe the enemy is accuser. So you can very quickly see a courtroom scene here of Satan, the accuser, and the Holy Spirit as the advocate, as the counselor coming alongside. And we're going to come back to that imagery as we get into that part of the scripture today. But I wanted to paint that scene first. Verse 7, again, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. I can't imagine being a disciple in that time and, and just being, being in the midst of your leader, of your Messiah, and hearing those words, unless I go away, saying that I, I got to go, that's, that's all I'm going to hear. I've left everything behind to follow you, Lord. And I don't know about anything about this advocate or whatever that might be good to come later. But I've left everything to follow you. Now you're saying you're going to leave? I can't imagine how the disciples could have thought, how can anything be good that comes from this? And I think that we've all experienced something. We've all been on the other side of some type of an experience we thought was the end of the world. Everything was falling apart. Unfortunately, we might be, some of you might be in the midst of that right now, but I think enough of us have been on the other side of that kind of experience of the world is over, there's no way this can be a good thing, and you've gone far enough past it to see that was a good thing. God was working through it. God used that for his good, Right? There's a parable, um, I only know it as the horse story, and um, it goes like this. There's a, there's a farmer, he has an estate, he has some horses, he has a stable, 
and a son who works with his animals. And um, one day, one of his horses gets out, breaks, breaks free, hops the fence, is gone. The neighbor of the farmer comes by and says, that is just, just bad fortune. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that you got a, the horse just broke free. And the farmer ends up saying, only God knows what's good and what's bad. And the next day, the horse returns. But this time, the horse comes back with a whole herd of, of wild mares to come with. And, and, and it comes to the father's estate, and they're able to bring the horses into their stables and start to break them in. And the, the, the neighbor comes by. This is amazing. This is great news. The farmer says, only God knows what is good and what is bad. The next day, the son is trying to tame one of the wild mares and gets bucked, thrown off, and breaks his leg. And again, the neighbor comes by. Horrible, horrible news. And you can probably guess what the farmer ends up saying. Only God knows what is good and what is bad. And finally, the next day, the oppressive regime there in the area comes to town, conscripting all young, able-bodied men to be in their war and because the son had broke his leg he's not to go to war for the oppressive regime and the neighbor thinks only God knows what is good and what is bad you can think about the we, we have perspective right we're on the other side we know what happens we know the good news of the resurrection and we know about Pentecost and, and, and the Holy Spirit to come. But man, can you imagine as those disciples, anything that can be good that can come from this and hearing the words from their rabbi, their Messiah, to say, it is good. I need to go. This needs to happen. Otherwise, you won't get the advocate. And even further than that, days later, they start to see that God's evangelism tactic of spreading out his good news James is beheaded. Stephen is stoned at the, at the uh, ruling of the Sanhedrin. And they're terrified. And they want to stay there, but they're terrified now. And they, they go out. And what do they do? They bring the gospel with them. At first glance, God, you really screwed this one up. They're getting killed in the streets. God had a plan. Philip goes to Samaria. Followers of Jesus flee to Antioch. And they spread that news throughout. They take the gospel and the message of God with them. It's verse 7. Let's move on to verse 8. Here in verse 8, Jesus lists three things that the Holy Spirit will convict the world about. Three things that the world's going to be wrong about. I'm sorry, this is explosive. Verse 8. Here, Jesus lists three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment, and how the Holy Spirit's going to, goes on to tell how the Holy Spirit will convict the world. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. On to verse 9. About sin, because people do not believe in me. We like to rank sins, don't we? We like to see, qualify them and say, well, that might be, that might be gray gray area might not be a bad sin that's not a bad sin this is really really bad sin here jesus is saying what's one of the worst of all is unbelief 
You could have someone who's a serial killer. You could have someone, a horrible person, a Hitler type. And, but if you don't have, but if you reject the, Jesus on the cross, you have nothing. There's no chance. Acts 4.12 says, but there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And if you believe he allows for a new start, he allows for a fresh beginning, and that's the gospel. That's why it's good news. And some people think there's, there's certain people that, that shouldn't have the chance to be forgiven by God, but I think we need to watch out. If we think that, God just might let us see our own pile of sin, right? Romans three twenty three through 24, I don't think I have this one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. But all sin have fallen short of the glory of God. The second part that the Holy Spirit convicts us of, verse 10. Convict because of righteousness where you can see me no longer. The religious elite at the time thought they were the most righteous, right? They're the ones to convict Jesus, send him to the cross, send him to the Romans to, to be crucified. Those were that condemned Jesus thought they were righteous. But here, the world be convicted because of righteousness. Because he says here, where you can see me no longer, only Jesus was able to go where he went, to the Father. He went to go prepare a place for us. And he's going to convict the world, basically convict the world of an empty tomb. Jesus was the only one, the only one that was right in the end. And in the end is Jesus that will still prepare a place for us. Verse 11, and about judgment, because, of, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan is condemned. We're back now to the courtroom scene, right? You have Satan, the accuser. He's the one that accuses us. He's that voice. You're not good enough. But who's, who stands with us? The advocate. There will be a judgment day. We will stand before an all-holy God. But because of what Jesus did and our faith in him, that changes the entire narrative of this court case, right? And instead of us standing condemned before sin, which is what we deserve... If we put our faith in Jesus, it's the accuser, Satan, that now stands condemned. It's good news, isn't it? We can look at this combination of these three things. Sin, sin is what we do. Righteousness is what he is. And finally, judgment. You put those together and that's what you get. But praise God, it is Satan that is condemned. Let's go on to verse 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only to what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Spirit of truth. If we rely on the Holy Spirit, he can lead us into truth. We talked a few weeks about how the Holy Spirit breathes life into us. Well, he also breathes truth into us as well. He's an aid. He aids us. He's an advocate. He advocates for us. He's a counselor. He counsels us. These are all people and representations of people that lead someone into truth. 
Another piece from this verse we should pay attention to is how many times the word he shows up. Let's, let's read just verse 13. He will not speak on his own. Well, let's go back. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will, that's a lot of he's. We get it. And why do you think, they're, they're breaking grammar rules here, right? The spirit is a neutral form of gender. You, you wouldn't call a tree a he. Usually a spirit's not a he. But they're breaking grammar rules here because the Holy Spirit is a person. We find ways to disassociate from the Spirit. Okay, God the Father, he's, he's up there, and we know about what Jesus did. But the Spirit, he's kind of a weird one, right? I don't know about him. But they're making sure that we know it's a person. I was going through verses this week just for my sermon to, to try to see where, where else is the, the he form or, or the, the personal now show up for the Holy Spirit to show us that it's a person. And then, wouldn't you know it, this very week, we're reading through a wonderful book by Francis Chan um, called Until Unity. And we have a copy on the book cart out in the lobby. If you want to go take a look at it, I would highly recommend it. If you can't afford it, we're ordering some more. So let me know if you, you need a copy. Um, but it's a great book. And, and for this prescribed reading week, we were going through a specific chapter, and it came across the same verse that I found for just this topic. I think it'd be good to read. Let, this is Ephesians four twenty nine through 31. I think we have it. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You don't grieve in it, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is a passage you need to hear. This is a passage I need to hear. But it also shows us the Holy Spirit is a person, and a person, the Holy Spirit, can be grieved. And why does, that, why does that matter? Well, let's read on. Verses 14 through 15 of John 16. He will glorify me because it is from me, this is still Jesus talking, that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. One way that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads us into truth is that he's always trying to point to Jesus. He's always trying to, to not only support, but show that Jesus is the answer for what we're dealing with. If we can feel the Spirit, he's most certainly pointing us to Jesus. Bring it to him. What's that thing you're dealing with that you're struggling through? Put it at the foot of the cross. We get, I think if we think too much about the Trinity my head can try to, it'll explode if I think too much about it. I don't know about you, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Here's Jesus, he's God, but he's praying, uh, Father, you know, whatever. I, not for me to know, but I think what we can get from it, though, is that he is relationship. He is love. The only, I promised I would only use one fancy word today. I'm sorry, I'm going to bring two to you today. But the only fancy word I remember 
from my biblical interpretation class. It's perichoresis. Say it with me. Perichoresis. It's just fun to say. But the short definition there is it's divine dance. And it, and it talks about how all three parts of the Trinity support each other. The Spirit supports the Son and the Father. And the Father loves the Son. And the Son prays so on and so forth. He is relationship. He is love. But more importantly for us, God wants relationship with us, his creation. And the reason for all of this explanation is that the Holy Spirit is a person that you can have a personal relationship with, with God today. Spirit of Jesus, which is a form, a, a form of the Holy Spirit's name, along with others that are in Scripture. Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. We just read Spirit of Truth. Isn't it good news that God can live in you? It means somehow the Spirit of Jesus can be alive in me. And don't ask me how this is possible. I don't know how it works. We can ask him. And speaking of asking questions to the wrong person, I don't know if that's a good segue. That might, that's probably not a good segue. But let's go on to verse 16 and 17. The disciples have questions for each other and not for the one with the right answer. Let's read. Verse 16, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. At this time, some of the disciples said to one another, What's he mean by in a little while you'll see me no more, and after a little while you will see me? And what's he mean by because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What's he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. The disciples are confused, and just like a lot of us, myself included, we like to ask questions to everyone but the person who has the answer, right? We have to go to the one who has the answer. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. This is verse 19. Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Once again, we have perspective here, right? We know about what happens. We know Jesus is talking about the the cross and then the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And we're on the other side of it, so that means it's different for us, right? But if we could put ourselves in the mindsets and the hearts of the disciples... Imagine that emotional trauma at that time of seeing and experience what they did. Jesus goes on to use the metaphor of a woman giving birth for, his, for their level of grief and, 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 and then also the joy of welcoming a new life into the world. Let's read verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy. That a child is born into the world. They forget the anguish a little bit, right? You can't forget all of that, I would think. I wouldn't think you could forget all of it, but otherwise, you, you just have single childs running around. That, that'd be it. You'd only have one and then done. This is something we're on both sides of. My wife is pregnant, and uh, she's due. Uh, they moved the due date to January 1, and I'm going to tell you guys reveal the news that we're having a baby boy, and we are excited. 
I'm excited. Um, I don't have to do all the work. No, um, this, is, this is a good time for us, but she's forgotten enough about the anguish that we're having another one, right? Jesus is saying here the joy of welcoming a child into the world will be like the coming of the resurrection and, and for the Holy Spirit to follow. And what better perfect metaphor for, for such a quick amount of time to turn around from the disciples who thought their world was over. The Romans are going to come for us. We're all dead. And Sunday comes. And it all changes so quickly to go from having, a, having pain that I'm smart enough to say that I have no idea about that pain. I'm not going to attempt to say that I have anything, any idea about the pain of giving birth. And then to welcome a child and have that joy. I was a ball of tears and I didn't do any other work. I mean, I can't imagine what the mama feels. Let's go on to verse 22. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice I knew I was going to do it when I thought of Emerson. (laughs) No one can rob you of that joy. You think about the emotional trauma of those disciples seeing Jesus taken, arrested, tried in in a farce of a trial and beaten to a pulp and carried across and crucified for hours. But here they are, just a few chapters later. John 20, 26, the disciples were terrified. They're in a locked room. They're, they're huddled together. They're like, well, we're next. We better hide. We have some of that going on in Afghanistan right now. But Jesus showed up, came into a locked room, and he said, peace be with you, which is what you say if, if you show up in a locked room. And someone probably wet themselves over here. Someone fainted, maybe. But once they've been able to process what's going on, everything for them has changed. He wasn't here to kick out the Romans. He's here to conquer death. The worst that the authorities could give to us is death. So what are we afraid of? Bring it. Do your worst. That is a joy that no one can rob you of. Just a couple more verses, and then we're finished. Verse 23, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. We have a bit of a, bit of a, a a starkly different perspective than the Jewish perspective in the Christian church. Do you remember the Jesus is my homeboy um, campaign? They had T-shirts, and he's my homeboy. Um, that, is, that might very well be true, but it's also starkly contrasted to the Jewish perspective. God is not approachable. They had the priesthood. They had all of these um, laws. Even the priests couldn't, could only get into one room one time of the year. One priest could do that. And then they had these laws where if you got a little sore, you're not going to be able to worship 
got to be clean, got to be pure, got to do all this, this, that, and another. But God is not approachable. Paul was soaked in that culture, but here he's writing in the New Testament. Let's take a look at 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16. I think we have that one. Which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. He lives in unapproachable light. Exodus 33, Moses said, let me see your glory, God. God said, best I can do is pass by and show you my trailing glory. Moses was, was the dude, and that's all he could get. So how do we approach God? It's through Jesus. That's what's amazing about all of this. We can approach him because of Christ. The last verse we'll read through this passage. It's verse 24. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. When we pray, what's the phrase we always end with? In Jesus' name, right? Does that mean that everything we're praying is God's will? No, not necessarily. But it reminds us that Jesus is the means that we can even approach God's throne room. Jesus is the access to God. We have um, all sorts of different youth group events, and different ones will have tickets for different things, meal tickets, whatever. And so 99.9% of the time, I'm always keeping all of the tickets all of the time so they don't lose them. But every once in a while, there'll be something that they have to have their ticket for. And what's the phrase? Don't lose your ticket, right? Not going to be able to eat. Not going to do this or that. Don't lose your ticket. Jesus is the ticket. He's the access to God we've never had before. The verse here ends, and your joy will be made complete. Pastor Tim taught us about Beatitudes last week, and he said, uh, explain what the meaning of that word is, and I believe it's right, consummate happiness, right? Consummate happiness, complete, blissful happiness. That sounds a lot like complete joy. Joy will be made complete. Jesus is trying to show us how we can be made complete in him. He is the access to the Father. He is the reason that the Holy Spirit has come and is with us and can indwell within each one of us. He's the reason that the Spirit can be closer than our skin sometimes. If the uh, worship team can come on up, we've got another song we'll We'll sing here at the end. But I'd encourage you guys to come, please, next week as we explore ways to find out about this complete joy that Christ wants for us, for us to be made complete in him. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, we, we want to be made complete in you. And we thank you. We don't know how it all works. We thank you for the Spirit's presence in our life. That you can come inside and move us out, Lord. We pray for that. Less of us and more of you. We pray that you fill us with with your Spirit this week. Show us things that only you can do. 
Allow us to step into your power. Let us feel closeness in times that we need it. Show us your power when we adjust weakness. Most of all, I thank you for your son, the love that is represented by sending your son to die and live again for us. Thank you for your spirit. Be with us now. my heart.